we've got a couple of his books back there, but it was interesting that before he passed, he just said thank you. And that's where my goal is to be of that nature where that's all I say, just thank you, God, and for you as well. And as we listen to the gospel, as we listen to this message, I think that it just fills us with just that attitude of thank you, God. I don't get it all, but I just say thank you. The, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a dog story, a sheep dog. As you probably know, if you've been around here, I like dog stories. And I like to share them because I just, it just resonates with inside of me. And I like to use different applications. My application may not be yours. But here's another dog story. There's a dog show called the Westminster Dog Show. And you just don't enter into that uh, show without having a lot of wins. And I was reading this story about Dan Stallings who wanted to purchase a dog. And so he went on Craigslist, and he found the dog that he wanted. And so he drove out to the owner's house, opened the door, and he saw this dog. His name was Maverick. Great name, huh? So he walks into the home there, and he sees that this dog was pretty scrawny, skin and bones. It had been... Abused, it was scared. The dog, because it was filled with so much anxiety, had chewed through its tail at one time. The gums were messed up. He would not get out of the cage because it had learned that if it got out of the cage, perhaps it would be abused and beaten. So here was Dan who wanted this dog. Once he saw the dog, I think he wanted to change his mind, but he kept with this. And he tried to bring that dog out of the cage, but the dog would not come out. And so Dan had to coax the dog out of the cage, and it took a long time for that dog to finally just have a little glimpse, maybe, he was safe with his new owner. And so Dan, to make a long story short, took Maverick home, and eventually Maverick became comfortable with his new owner, and Dan brought health to Maverick's life, nursed him to health. And after a while, Dan was thinking, boy, you know, this is a pretty dog. And I think I'm going to enter Maverick into a dog show. So they went into a, uh, a show, and Maverick won. And then they took him to, he took him to another dog show, and he won there. He took him to another one, and he kept winning these dog shows. Eventually, Maverick got a reputation of winning dog shows, and he was invited to the Westminster Dog Show. 
I don't know why, but that story resonated with me. And I'm not quite sure why this story resonated so deep inside of me. I think it it reminds me so much of our life, maybe part of my life, where we are caged sometimes in our own emotions. Because of the hurts and because of the abuse, whatever you had gone through, we cage ourselves. Maybe it's through the misguided perception of how you perceive yourself. Maybe there was a religious background that kept you caged and you weren't free to crawl out of that cage. Maybe it's a misguided perception of who God is and who you are. And without you realizing it, you are in this cage. And it's interesting that as I thought about the application of this, that it took Maverick a time to feel comfortable and safe with his new owner. And we have an owner, the ultimate source of life. And that's God, the love of God. And sometimes it takes a while for that light to shine in. But as we simmer into that light of God's love, there's a courage that takes place within to crawl out of that cage. For we find safety, not abuse, but safety outside of that cage. And so I was thinking about this and making different applications, and it just resonated, and I don't know how it resonates with you. Maybe not at all, and that's fine too, but I was thinking about Paul. Because we're going to work a little bit in different scriptures here in this book called Galatians, which is very powerful, and I'm going to bring some unconventional things in our teaching together. And the reason for that is not to be different. The reason is to bring us out of a cage, wherever that may be. But here Paul was just hip deep in religion. He never knew that he was in a cage. We may call this a religious cage until he had this revelation of Christ within him. And as he had this unveiling that Christ was within him, it freaked him out. It blew his mind. He never knew this was the love of God. He never knew it was so great. So let's read. Let's read in Galatians verse 11. We're going to go to 14. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age 
among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Zealous in the traditions of my fathers. This is a great resume. At least in his circle. <laughs> this was a great resume. He was praised, he was honored to the traditions that he kept zealously. He persecuted the followers of Jesus. Perhaps, and we don't know accurately if he killed others in order to preserve his faith. But I know that he went and he captured people that were followers of Jesus, took them into prison, and perhaps afterwards they were executed. But Paul was all part of this. He separated families. And we could say that Paul was a violent man. I was going to say perhaps a violent man. He was a violent man. He had a temper. He was passionate about preserving his own religious heritage. We could say that he was very passionate about preserving his own denomination and his background and who he belonged to. And he felt he was right. He tried his best. He was over the top in keeping all the laws of Moses, all the laws of, and the regulations and the rules of his own tradition. He didn't know any better. He grew up this way. And some of us can relate to this. Some of us maybe have grown up and we've been caged in religion and you wonder if there's any way out. You wonder if this is really the view of God, if this is really what it's supposed to be. Or maybe we know somebody that is a friend of ours and they've been so caged by whatever and they don't want to hear the name church. They don't want to hear God. They don't want to even hear that name or they start getting defensive. There's been a lot of hurts. Been a lot of abuse. Been a lot of misguided perceptions. And so it's really hard to be in my position and try to teach what I sense to be the picture of who God is. It's very hard because you cross lines, you cross denominations, a lot of misunderstandings because we've grown up being conditioned in a particular way of thinking. My great-grandfather was a man that had a great heart and uh, he was very passionate about what he believed in. I totally honor him. I totally respect him because he's family. But if he were alive today, he would still love me as a grandson, but he would excommunicate me <laughs> because of where I'm coming from. He was a musician. He was a speaker. He was... Very smart theologian, scholar. 
popular among the people where he belonged. He wrote many hymns, and the hymns that he wrote for was for the church of God. And so, as he began to gain influence and popularity in his speaking, he was very, very good at condemning those that were outside of what he believed, outside of his denomination. I've read some of his writings, and his writings emphasized basically one thing, that we're the true church of, of God, we're, we're the only true church, and we go all the way back to the apostles, and you can kind of get the flavor of where he's coming from. That's my background. Right before he passed, he wrote a will. And his will was that none of his songs would ever be sung, none of his songs would ever be printed outside of his denomination. And so if you're my age and you grew up with hymns and etc., you probably would have sang Andrew Byers's hymns. But that's where he was. This was his understanding of preserving the faith for him. But he lived in his own cage of fear. You see, when, when you become a legalist, you wear out, you burn out. It was never intended in God's view for you and I to live this way. But sometimes that's all we know. And in many, in many ways, um, Andrew just lived in this cage, condemning himself, not really sure he's measured up. And that's why he condemned others, because he was condemning himself, wondering if God ever condemned him of not doing enough. I think Paul was a lot like this, but I think Paul was a lot worse. I know he was. At least to my knowledge, my great-grandfather didn't kill anybody who opposed him. <laughs> you know, Paul did. Now, maybe if, if he lived during Paul's day, he might have just joined Paul with all of that. I would read in the Paul's life, fascinated with him. And as you read different portions of his biography within the scriptures, you begin to see that this man was tied into knots, if you read between the lines. He was, felt, he was filled with uh, these cage thoughts, misconceptions of who God was and who he was. Filled with law, rules, and regulations, and never had a joy, never had a peace with inside of him, but a sense of condemnation. Always striving. Always about performing. And so there was this, this no joy, this experience of no joy, this, this no peace, this no rest. He did not know what that was like until he had a revelation of the grace of God. 
until there was the unveiling of his mind to God's unconditional love. He was a person that I would label as a man who came from religion to revelation. Isn't that cool? I love that phrase. That would make a good title. From religion to revelation. So what was this revelation? What was this unveiling? What was this curtain in his mind that had been shut, but now was opening to where he could see? What is it that just blew his mind? What is it that freaked Paul out? Let's read verse 15 and 16. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Okay, we don't have time to get into that last part. But this, okay, just try to stay with me on this. We're going to keep this short, but... This was the central message of Paul given to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, in Paul's mind, were the ones who were the outsiders. They were called the dogs of society. They were not acceptable, especially from God. They were outcasts. You weren't even supposed to go into their home and Paul has this incredible revelation, the opening, the unveiling of his mind, the curtain open, and he saw Christ in me, and he saw Christ in the Gentiles, and it freaked him out. This is what he's saying. When he said that I saw that Christ was in me, in my mother's womb. Even when Paul was persecuting the Christians, when he was persecuting the followers of Christ, when he was in his evil and exercising darkness, Christ was in him, but he did not see it. This is what blew his mind. The light of Christ was in him, but he didn't see the light because he was so distracted in protecting his own tradition of rules, regulations, and laws, and he was sure this was the right way to go, and anybody who did not follow this were persecuted. See how rich and deep this is? This is, this is freaky stuff. This will blow your mind. And so as I began to read into Acts and the Philippians and whatnot, Paul was never content. He was missing something in his life. It was all about religion until he had this revelation of who God is. And it's so radically, this rev revelation of Christ in him so radically changed how he saw himself, how he saw God, how he saw Christ. And like I said, and I cannot overemphasize this enough, his mind was blown away. 
And I share these things because what this does, it opens the scriptures now to maybe see scriptures in a different light. He was so, in fact, one place, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, he said, I am so compelled by the love of Christ, I cannot help but sharing this to other people. He never knew. And that's what John 1 talks about. He who is the light of the world, which is Christ, has entered into humanity, has entered into the world. I want you to see something here. He said in verse 16, if you can turn to that, Anthony, to reveal his son in me. It never says Christ revealed himself to me. This is huge. Christ did not reveal himself to me, but what? In me. That he was in me. Interesting, isn't it? And so that was the message that he gave to the Gentiles who had no religious background, had no idea who God was, had no idea who Moses was, had no idea of all the 613 laws the Jews had to follow in the Torah. They had no background. And so here, Christ, who is the light of the world, said to the Gentiles, Christ is within you. Now let me, let me say in verse 16, he said that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So a couple of days ago, I went into this word among. What does the word among mean? In the Greek, you spell it E-N. Guess what that word among is? In. That's what it means. In. A fixed position. And so one way that we can interpret this is that Paul is saying, this unveiling of Christ inside of me freed me to announce that the same Christ who lives in me is in them. Weird. You see how powerful this is to Paul? Who struggled and and strove to try to be acceptable by God and tried to measure up to be this kind of person. He didn't know any better. He was clueless about this. And so are many, many, many people because we're not taught this, which is unconventional and it's radical. But when you begin to see this through the Holy Spirit, it just opens a wide, big door in your heart and you begin to see the scriptures in a brand new light and it brings excitement. But here Paul saw he was already accepted. This is what compelled him in love. This is what compelled him to say, I cannot understand how great God's love is. Even when I was in my mother's womb. Even when I did those things. Even when I was living in religious darkness. Christ accepted me, loved me. But I felt I was always 
separated. This is a radical message. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26. I want to show you something here. Then I want to give you a little story. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 to 27 says this. He says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now unveiled, or I think the word is disclosed there, to the Lord's people. Who are the Lord's people? The people who have seen that Christ is within them. Okay? Now, let's read on. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, let me share something here. The Christ who has been revealed to who he claims as the Lord's people, they saw Jesus inside of them. That revelation is relevant to all and in all. And what is interesting about all of this, and I discovered it this morning again, I wanted to see what that word among meant. Because there in verse 27, he says, to, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. And guess what that word among is? In. And I ran home this morning, and I said, I discovered something else. I mean, see how the word just keeps opening and you just simmer it down. It's like a crock pot, like I made mention last week. Don't be a microwave, be a crock pot. Let it just simmer. Let it be a part of you. But how, so I began to read this this morning and it says, to them God has chosen to make known in the Gentiles. See that? In the Gentiles who are the outcasts, who had no religious background, in the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. His job was to awaken the minds that they may be able to see it. And then in verse 28, it says, Paul, Paul says, this is the essence and the focus of our message. My goal, my passion is to awaken everyone's mind to the reality of Christ within. It's called the new covenant. It's called the cross the effect of the cross and the resurrection. It's bigger than what we think. Now, let's wrap it up. In fact, Paula, thank you for this. She has a translation. We always have times talking about this. This is a translation for the Native Americans. And... When she showed me this translation, guess where I went? I wanted to see if they translate, how they translated this in uh, Colossians 1.27. And this is what they say. The creator also did this to show the outside nations the mystery of the beauty and honor he has bestowed on them. Listen to this. This mystery is that chosen one also lives in you, the outside nations. I went through 27 translations, and none of them said that, and I'm thinking, 
good for the American natives. There's a painting. And let's show that clip here, Anthony. So, because we're going to close on this one. This, this is a painting that um, I discovered by Richard Rohr in his book, Divine Dance. And he called this section A Space at God's Table, which is really our title this morning. This painting, I've been letting it, letting it just soak in for about three months. I think they even sell it on Amazon. We might just get one. This, this is um, a painting that was painted by the Russian Andrei Rublev in the 15th century. And some have said that this is the most perfect piece of religious art that there is. I, I don't know. But I know if you stare at it long enough, you see all kinds of little different pictures in it. The guy was a genius. And so when, when I saw this picture, I thought, this is Paul's message in art form. So let me just take you through this a little bit. Here on the left, you have the Father. And the Father is in the color of gold. And, and that, that gold represents uh, fullness, re represents perfection, represents um, the source, the ultimate source of all things. The blue is the color of humanity. That's in the middle. That's Christ. And the way that Rublev interpreted this was God and Christ taking on the world, taking on humanity. Now I want you to notice the two fingers. It tells us that he has put Spirit and matter, divinity and humanity together in him, within himself. Man, this is the gospel right here. This is genius. The green, the, the spirit, is representative of the, of the spirit. It, it, it uh, symbolizes divine aliveness that makes everything blossom that makes everything bloom and this is the genius part he chose the color green to represent the divine photosynthesis that grows within, that grows everything from within and brings about transformation. It is the spirit that brings the revelation, the light within. And as you begin to see that light, Christ in you, things begin to blossom and bloom within and a transformation takes place. It's not trying to follow this rule, not trying to follow that regulation, not trying to follow that law. It is within the law of love. This is genius. This is a genius piece of 
painting here. And so you begin to see the three, which is called the Trinity, the Father, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and you see as they gaze upon each other, that's what he's trying to portray here, a deep respect for one another, and they share that common bowl in the middle. Now I want you to notice the hand of the Spirit, the one in green. You see that? The hand is pointing toward another place, and that's the fourth place. You see in front of that box, there's a rectangular, there, there's a rectangular hole there. And it's interesting to, to read up on this a little bit. Art historians say that the, there's a remaining glue there on the original painting. And they have said that perhaps there was a mirror that was glued to the front of this table, which in that time, in that day, was very unsacred to do, very unconventional. But Rublev put a mirror. Genius is a genius at work here. I just love this. And what is that mirror there for? It's for the observer who comes and he looks and he sees himself. And he sees that he's included within the Trinity. This is what Paul saw. This is so radical. Just let it simmer. Let it slow down. His understanding was way beyond many of ours, the way that we understand things. He says, you're not separated from God. You're not. Observe and look, and you see yourself represented. Isn't the apostle Paul, didn't he say that in Ephesians 1? He says, before, and we talked about this, before creation, you were embraced by the Trinity. He captured this in the 15th century. It's a symbol that you are included at the table. Do you see it? Do you see yourself? See, it's just not about church anymore, is it? Just not about reading the scriptures. You are involved. And may God, the Holy Spirit, give us the revelation. I was reading a book by Baxter Kruger, who is a theologian, probably one of my favorite right now. And he was sharing with a bunch of friends and joking around about well, if you had three wishes, what are you going to wish for? You ever played that game? <laughs> I don't know what I would wish for. <laughs> but it got me thinking, okay, when I was reading this, and finally one of his buddies said, hey, let's make it even more challenging. If you had one wish, what would you wish for? Ah, oh, great. This is a tough one. So I continued reading Baxter, and and he says he went home that night and, and he thought about it. And he said, I came up with one word. One wish that I would wish for. And that is the word assurance. And I thought about that. 
And I let that soak in for maybe a couple of weeks. I said, what, what would be my one wish? And I took a look at my years, all my years of living, all my years of experiencing different religions and God and all of that, and I think that would be maybe my word. I don't know. But for now, we're going to keep it there because I think that's a powerful word. The one wish is that assurance. And so I, t- I, I, I got home and I told Barbara about this and this story, and I said, you know, I think, I think that's my word is that sense of I'm good with God I'm included. I'm part of this, this picture, a part of this understanding, this concept. I'll never fully understand it. But I told her, and I says, I could have a zillion dollars. But if you don't have assurance, you don't have peace. I could travel the world a hundred times, but if I don't have that assurance of within, I don't have peace. What worth is that? If I have the most perfect family, but I don't have assurance, I don't have peace. What, what, what's the big deal on that? See, I want peace. I want to have that inner assurance that I'm part of something bigger than myself. And Barb said, bingo. And when she says, bingo, we're on the same page. This has revolutionized me big time. And this is not just overnight. This has been years of just thinking through things like this, making it simmer, making it a part of my flesh and bones. And there's nothing that gives me more assurance that before I was born, I was included in this. And this sets you totally free. As Tom comes up here, we're just going to close it. Tom comes, comes up here, and we're just going to close with the closing song. Let me just share this. Freedom is inside of you. Freedom is internal. You can be the most freest person with having everything you want on the outside, but are you out of your own private cage? This doesn't happen overnight. And I'm no counselor. I'm no therapy. I just have a little bit of life that I can share experiences. But I am learning this concept frees you when you get that insight and revelation. Yeah, you may break against conventional Christianity. You may break against evangelicalism. You may break whatever it's going to take. Who cares? This is your journey This is your life. You make your choices. What is it? And trust me, the Holy Spirit's going to open up your heart. And it's going to take time as you simmer in that cage to finally crawl out of that cage. And you might be all alone. But it's worth it because you're free. That is what Gordy is all about is to awaken our minds and I still have a lot to learn but to awaken our minds 
to what is really there, what really is. So it draws me back to Maverick again. Took time, but as I was finishing up writing this up for this morning, drew me back to Maverick. <laughs> Once Maverick found his true owner and took time for him to know his love and the embracement, Maverick, this is only in my thinking, okay? Maverick had assurance. And once you have assurance, Maverick knew all was going to be well, and he was safe. And I think in very similar ways, that, that's the way it is in our life. Can you imagine that you're already part of this divine dance that we saw this picture, painted by Rublev, R-U-B-L-E-V. If you print that up, put tr Trinity painting, and you'll find it. When Paul saw this, did you know that he didn't go out teaching and preaching and all this? I mean, he was more excited than anybody on the planet. He never saw this before. He was just blown away with it. Did you know what, what he did? He went to the desert for three years, and he had to get it simmered in. In fact, he never really started his ministry until 17 years later. And here I am trying to, you know... I just need to take a break for about 20 more years, but in 20 years, I'll be dead. So that's why I got to do it now. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. A lot of stuff that we want to learn. Wherever it's going to take us, Lord, it's all going to be good. Because we are people that are free, called to be free, set free in Christ. Now we have a little bit more understanding when you said Christ has come to set us free, so be free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Bye.